by today's guest, Joshua Schwartz. And this is the Original Doll Podcast. I'm your host, James Rodriguez Horton. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for the first-time listeners, on the Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who created it. And at the same time, we give back. So for every question a guest answers, we get items donated to charity. Then on Apple Podcast, however many listens we get within the first 24 hours, we get items donated to charity. We've been helping women in domestic abuse shelters. We've been helping homeless LGBT plus teens, low-income families, and more. So just thank you so much for listening. A uh, big shout-out to my Patreon patrons, those who are, are helping keep this podcast alive. Peter, Rochelle, Tommy, Tyler, Jenny, Sebastian, Lucy, Rami, Luke, Tiff, Rob, thank you all so much for keeping this afloat. For those who don't know, Patreon is a way so that we don't have a bunch of ads on this podcast and making it so that it's free for all. It does, in fact, cost to host the podcast on servers and everything, so it does cost money for each episode. So any amount that you can donate, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, But getting back to this episode, what's been really great is In talking with Joshua Schwartz, we now know that the Britney album was going to be a companion piece to Britney Spears's, you know, big screen debut in the leading role, Crossroads. And remember, Joshua Schwartz talked about that the label had given him and his writing partner, Brian, a script for Crossroads and said, this, use this as inspiration for some of the songs. What they told him during a sit-down meeting was, we want to have the number one movie. We want to have the number one album. Make it work. So in previous episodes, we already found out that I Run Away, which was a bonus track on some editions of Britney, was written about the Kim Cattrall character, Lucy's mother, in the Crossroads movie. We also found out that Britney Spears herself has been inspired by other artists. You know, Craig David was an inspiration for Britney. She wanted that dubstep sound, and that's how we got That's Where You Take Me. The other thing is, in the next couple of weeks this fall, you're going to be learning a lot more from people that have worked with Britney Spears on the touring side, the artistic side. And what's been great is something that I haven't been able to talk about on the podcast is the touring aspect. Now, in many conversations with people who worked in the room with Britney Spears, after the 2007, 2008, after the Blackout era, when there was going to be a tour, Britney wanted to do kind of some B-sides. She didn't want to keep doing a greatest hits album tour. So she fought early on to try to get more B-sides, more deep cuts, more covers on her tours. And we're going to be hearing more about this in the next few weeks. Many people said, why haven't you talked about the touring? That's part of it. We know that Britney's a creative person, always likes to switch things up. I couldn't imagine singing, you know, um, I'm trying to think of what it would be at this point. I'm trying to think of a song that I'm like, eh, I'm good with not having that anymore. Uh, but let's just say Slave for You, that at a certain point, you have only can only remix it so many times and do it 
the artist, the one performing, is doing it like 80 plus times a year. You know what I mean? And the problem is that's when the artist, Britney Spears, goes head to head with the managers, with the people that want more people to come to the show, that want people to come that wouldn't normally buy a ticket because they want to hear toxic. They want to hear, you know, um, you drive me crazy. So a conversation that was had during many of these album production times is Britney wanted songs that she can do on tour. During the circus era, you know, Britney Spears had talked about wanting, you know, Unusual You. She loved the song. You know, she was attracted right to it. But then when the tour came around, it was very specifically Larry Rudolph and management, you know, are like, nope, we're doing greatest hits. Britney Spears is like, but I have so many other songs. Femme Fatale, same thing. And then... After Femme Fatale, here's what's interesting. Britney Spears hasn't performed her number one hit, her number one U.S. hit, Hold It Against Me, since that album's tour. That was her number one hit song. That was one of them, I should say. Just because it's a hit song doesn't mean she wants to perform it. And we're going to be going into the Femme Fatale era in the next couple of months. And the thing to remember is this. Britney is inspired by so many people. She was inspired by Janet Jackson, the Velvet Rope album, the Janet album, Madonna's Confessions. You know, all of these albums played a part in her her maturing as an artist. And in many of these conversations with the people who worked with her, they said she was inspired by all these other people. So with Britney Spears seeing, you know, uh, Madonna do the reinvention tour, you know, bringing back some of her old hits, it's like, okay, that makes sense. But remember, up to that point, Madonna was really pushing for new music. She was really trying to have music that was added in that it wasn't just a greatest hits tour over and over and over again. So the thing to remember is this with the Britney album, Britney was in control over the songs that she was a part of, that she co-wrote. Those songs we should take a listen to. Those songs are the ones that we should be streaming and listening to more and more. For those who don't know, these are the songs that she worked on with Joshua Schwartz and the Joshua Schwartz and Brian songs. Lonely, Anticipating, Let Me Be, That's Where You Take Me, Before the Goodbye, I Run Away, When I Say So. And we have an episode coming up uh, deep diving into When I Say So, so be on the lookout for that. But that's something to keep in mind. And for those listeners who maybe aren't the biggest Britney Spears fans, imagine another artist that you like. Imagine, um, let's say, Katy Perry. You know, at a certain point, Katy Perry is going to be like, I kissed a girl. I'm kind of over the song or firework. There's only so many ways you can change it up or Metallica enter Sandman. You know what I mean? So it's interesting to think of it this way, that Britney Spears fought to try to get a tour that was filled with these other songs to give them life because those are what she wanted. Many of Britney Spears's actual songs and, and uh, productions where she created the melodies and things like that. Many of those aren't the singles that we know of. You know, they would always go to Max Martin and say, here, this is a Max Martin song, let's go with it. And those Max Martin songs are great. But Britney Spears has always been a creative person, always wanting to evolve. You know, when she talked about, hey, I don't want to perform, I want to take some time off. If you read any of those, the, the transcripts or anything, she just kept saying over and over, I just wanted a break. I wanted a break. And she deserved a break. And at no point was she talking about, you know what, I'm, I never want to, you know, write another song again. I never want to do this. We've talked to, to many, many, and you have all heard many songwriters and producers that have worked with her 
on, you know, everything from the first album all the way through Glory. And Britney Spears is always working. She's always writing. In the Anthony Preston episode we have coming up in a couple weeks, he talked about how Britney Spears brought him this song. said, hey, this is, this is a song I want to work on. And we go into that so you can hear more about that. But remember this. She's a creative. She always wants to evolve. She doesn't want to sit and get stale. She communicates through her, her performance, through her body, through her words. And on the Britney album, she really got to take part in this. So I'll stop talking. So once again, thank you all so much for listening. But here is my interview with Joshua Schwartz as we talk about Lonely. I am your host, James Rodriguez Horton, and this is the Original Doll Podcast. <laughs> the Original Doll. Well, that's what that's what I was going to ask, because the other thing, too, is I think what people forget is during the Britney album, Britney, you know, the opening of that era was slavery at the VMAs, which was like three days before September 11th. And then it was, how are you doing this? And I remember, I think it was she flew off to Australia, like right after like right after September 11th. She was doing some I don't know if I think it was Australia versus the UK. I'm not quite sure. But where everyone is like, well, what do we do? We're promoting this song that was a that was a big hit, very different for radio, but in a world that you're playing jewel hands and Enya only time, how do you market this thing? So when Slave was about to be listed, because this is something I asked you before, because a lot of people said, oh, we heard, you know, something else was going to be a first single from that. And I remember I asked you and everything I read, it was like Slave was always the, here's the sure hit. This is what we're going to go with. Yeah. On the third album, it was supposed to be Slave. I mean, I think they they played around, but um, I, I just remember it being um, the Neptunes. They were the go-to producers at the time, and I knew she was going to work with them. We figured they would bring something. But when they said Prince, we kept thinking Purple Rain Prince, and, and Pharrell came in with like Vanity Sex Prince. Totally different feel. Uh, different <laughs> Prince era, different Prince time, different Prince drugs. Um, and Slave does feel like and boys feels more like vanity than it did the prince I was thinking. We were thinking like little red Corvette prince because she's pretty spears. It's got to be you know, a pop crossover. People aren't going to get that other prince. And I guess we were wrong. That's all. We just didn't come with that style of prince. Pharrell did. Pharrell did. And uh, he nailed it. He's great. I mean, he's there, you know, thank God I'm on the album and I was able to jump on his and hang on, you know, the Pharrell. Well, but also you've had, I mean, working with, you know, the the Rodney thing. Now here's something. So the listeners, uh, a while back, Josh and I had our first conversation. We talked about Lonely. And then like a week later, Britney Spears on Instagram is singing. Part of, cool is part that? Of, and do you like, remember what she said about it? She's like, I wrote this. I'm really proud of it. This is a song I wrote that I was proud of. Really? This is from the beginning? Yeah. Oh, this time, cause times you make me cry, you, and he's so confused. 
And that was you, Josh. I thought that was cool. She wrote a really sweet thing in the album cover, like, thank you for making me feel so comfy, if you read the album credits. And I was just, you know, I thought that was just so cool. She was just so sweet. And I think we just got along really well. It's just for Brian and I and her. As just... I pull up the booklet. But yeah, it's <laughs> thank you to us, Brian, Brian and I. She might have dressed the K&S because that's what kept me anonymous all these years was calling myself K&S. Um, I was able to just not have trust to me. It took me a hot minute to find you. <laughs> I wasn't on Facebook until 2014. I didn't have a oh Facebook. Or, yeah. So I kind of liked to be invisible. It made me happy. Uh, I'm a very private. I will pseudo private now, I guess. I was a real estate agent. My pictures on things. Nobody knows this part of my life anyway. And even if they do, they don't believe. Me. You know what I mean? It's so I just I'm like, whatever. Like my daughter will be like my dad. We used to hang out with Gaga. My dad spent months with Britney Spears or whatever. And they're just like, okay, crazy person, whatever. <laughs> and, and what I do love is that she's still relevant. My, my 13 year old knows who she is, knows her music. Listen, I hear her upstairs listening to her music. And I'm like, I love that. It's like still relevant. I just think that's kind of cool. Um, well, makes me cooler, I, even though to them, I'll never be cool. But <laughs> no matter what you did, you would never be, never be cool. That's the thing. Everyone's children, their parents are never cool. So let's yeah. go back to Lonely. Um, <laughs> with Lonely, that to me, because that was, was that the first track you worked on with Rodney or was Intimidating the first track? Do you remember? Or was it simultaneous? I never worked. Lonely wasn't written with Rodney. Um, the way Lonely happened was um, it was completely written and recorded in LA with Brittany, me and Brian. That was it. Um, we had it done. And then Jive was, loved it, but was afraid to just let guys like us just be the only ones to produce. They wanted a name on it. And a lot of times that happens. So they brought Rod, the only thing Rodney did was add like a, and no offense, but it's just the truth. We, all the tracks we were told to turn over to Rodney. So we gave him the, the multi-tracks, right? From Pro Tools. Rodney took it, he changed a couple of the drums. But everything else is the same. I think he changed the snare drum a little bit. And then I will say he added the rap. I had nothing to do with the rap. That was Brittany and Rodney wrote the rap together. We heard it for the first time at Transcontinental, wherever Johnny Wright had a studio in Orlando, and they played it for us. And I was like, what the hell is that part? And I was like, play that again? Oh, that's kind of cool. And you know, back then in my 20s, I was probably a dick and I was probably 
Funky Dreams more song. I was, now I don't give a shit. But yeah. um, then I was probably like, you know, oh, it's stupid, you know? <laughs> but, um, but it was cool, it was cool. But really that song was completely written and done in, in, in the summer of 2001. And then towards post-production, they gave the tracks to Rodney to just Rodneyize it, to dark tile mm-hmm. it. And um, honestly, we, we did go down there for the mixes uh, when he was mixing it, but but it was already done. Like I said, we did most of it, and then Rodney had changed a few of the drums. But Jive isn't going out like that. Like if Britney's making her third record and they're changing it that drastically, they're gonna have names on that record. It can't be KS. We weren't that big, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I don't have that big of an ego. I know that you need Pharrell, you need Rodney, the hot names at the time. It's not gonna be me. I was a writer, but as a producer, we were we had some hits, but we weren't like I said, we weren't like. You're not going to turn down, uh, you know, Rodney Jerkins track. So all yeah. he really did was change the drums a little bit. And, and it said produced by Rodney, co-produced by Got us. It. Even though we did the whole damn mm-hmm. thing. The same thing Puffy does. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we met with him a few times, Puffy, about Dream. And he was like, you know, I'll use this and put my name on it. We knew what was going to happen. That's why we didn't do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that was... That was something that a lot of the listeners have learned where it's like, oh, somebody's hopping on last minute. Or we had a discussion with um, Dave Day when he had worked on a Selena Gomez song, Kill Him With Kindness, where he mm-hmm. talked about, yeah, I worked with Rock Mafia. We did this trio thing. Then all of a sudden, when the splits came out, we're like, who is this random person on there? Happens all the time. He was just like, he's like, and they basically were like, well, the A&R executive was like well this is my guy and we need to start having him make money back for us like there's all these things politics the 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 politics of it i think the consumers are hearing more and more now because i think that it's about respecting the artists for their for their right work and making sure they're compensated and that's why i love on the original doll being able to talk to people about their stories because a lot of people you're not the first one that that ever happened to. You definitely aren't the last one that that happened to. Ronnie Jerkins could have been worse. Yeah. I mean, hanging out exactly. I, I didn't mind, honestly. It I, could have been I, me. It could have been me just like, oh, here, I added up. I understand how politics <laughs> work in my head. It could have been just somebody that was signed to the AR guy that was his pu- that had to get a piece of his publishing or something. That yeah. would have been worse. Like, you know, a lot of these AR guys are given outside of their deal, like what you call a joint venture, whether it's a publishing company or whether it's, you know, they'll get a check and they'll be like, sign writers, right? And give them advances and then they get a piece. So they'll give, you know, yeah, they fuck with you like that part of my French, James. But you know, that that happens. It didn't happen to me that much. I really had a really, really good luck. Um, I had great representation. I had great lawyer at Larry Rudolph. I had um, a great, um, my management later didn't really do much for me. I had Red One's manager, but they definitely cared more about Red One than they did me. And that's okay. I would have done the same. You got to make a business decision. But, um, but I had a great publisher. I had Steve Lunt was my publisher for a long time before he became an A&R or while he was the A&R. And, uh, but he didn't own a piece of my publishing. That's the difference. Steve and I, we just got along. And we still are to this day, very, very close friends. Um, Eric Beal was my publisher. But Eric cared he he was a writer himself he wrote um some dance music he wrote i know he wrote joey lawrence's big hit in the 90s he wrote of, like, yeah he wrote some great stuff and he's <clears throat> a sweet guy i love him to death so i just really lucked out and had just an awesome experience of not getting pimped mm-hmm. out uh, as a writer i had uh my first foray was with rashad smith again rashad was tumbling dice he worked for puffy did not take a penny of my publishing. He just liked 
working, we worked together. It was me, Brian, and him. He could have easily signed me some bullshit and had his hand in my pocket my whole life. He was fair as fuck. Like he was just a good guy and he just liked working with us. We, we just had a reputation for being likable and I think we were easy and we got the job done. And I think that was just a huge test. And Brian and I, we, we just got along with everyone and we just didn't create a lot of drama wherever we went. It's just kind of how we were. We were just easygoing, got it done. And, um, you know, I just didn't create a lot of enemies, man. You come out of that industry unscathed. I thought maybe like, I'm like at age 40, I'm just like, okay, I think, I think it's time. It's mm-hmm. time to stop now. And uh, I feel like I just didn't have any enemies. I still talk to, to people, you know, like, hey, how you been? Like, like as friends, people that I still talk to are legitimately like friends now, you know, old publishers and whatever. I consider them friends. So it's just, yeah, it was a whirlwind. But um, I've had things I wasn't happy about. Like I said, they would give my song to someone and say, had a snare drum and now put their name on it. But it is what it is. And I was well aware of what was going on. And listen, I'd rather have... I'm not going to be a, as we say in Yiddish, I'm not going to be a chazer. I want to be on the Britney record. I'm not going to be like, give me my ball. I'm going home. I'm going to work with the situation. And because there's a lot of money there, let's just be real. That's a college fund for my kids if I don't fuck this up. So Mm -hmm. let's get the song on. We'll worry about that later. I have a good lawyer and we'll figure it out. And everybody got, it it was fair. Rodney didn't even ask for much on Lonely. And he did legitimately write that rap. So, you know, we gave him a piece, but he didn't take that big of a piece. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like a 25%. I think it was like 10. It wasn't anything crazy. Rodney mm-hmm. Jerkin at the time could have demanded 50%. We probably would have had a fucking take it and, uh, and deal with it, you know, and take yeah. it and, and so, just, so how do you then, I mean, because something that I think the listeners and a lot of the feedback I've gotten is they, most of them are like, how in the world did Britney create such, or did they create such a safe environment for her that all the songs that she'd written during this time were with you all like she might have had a you know a piece here and there but she was very and in in the previous episodes with you we talked about how she was involved how like the crossroads scripts came into play was lonely at all derived from anything in the the crossroads scripts yeah um well all the songs were i think on that third album lonely was uh one about um well, maybe not so much lonely, right? Let me be definitely was kind of based on the father figure, ironically. Yeah. Kind of a <laughs> father figure, which can't let go. <laughs> right. Um, and then we had uh, anticipating, which was kind of just fun, dancey. Uh, what was on there? That's where you take me. Um, I run away was like the mom song. Like that was the mom song. It was too dark for the movie because we played it for the director on the set. I remember that. Um, lonely was just sort of. Definitely, Brian and I were listening to um, uh, Velvet Rope quite often, and, so and it was such a good. It was so, and it was so out there for Janet too, right? So, so I think that came from that feel of that album. We were like something where you don't, you know, where I loved like certain songs on there where it just turned to rock, you know, and Jam and Lewis can get away with that. And we were like, yeah, all right, let's do that. So we were playing around. That's kind of think where Lonely came from. Even though it had like a funky thing going on, it went into this rock chorus, you know, and it got kind of Michael Jackson-y a little bit. So we definitely, uh, or bad, we were listening to a lot of bad. We kept trying to do a Michael shuffle and, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't get one. It sounded so corny. The only person on earth who could do the shuffle is Mike. That's it. You know, that like that kind of feel. We just couldn't get one down that worked for Britney. We tried. We tried it with Rodney. We tried it with, um, 
Brittany, we tried it with the, th with the four of us. It was Brittany, Rob, we all, I think Intimidated came out of those sessions um, where we wanted a groove, like a Michael groove. And none of us, I mean, we got it. We all loved Michael, Rodney, us, mm -hmm. Brittany. Brittany knew him, she was friends with him. But like, I mean, we all just couldn't get, we just couldn't make it work the way he, you know, the way you make me feel or any of those songs. Those shuffles are hard to do. They're mm -hmm. hard to do. We just couldn't nail one. But um, let me know if I go off on a tangent. Oh, God, don't worry. With Lonely, I think that was, yeah, kind of, I think we were going Michael and uh, Janet, and I think we were, it was probably somewhere out of that experimentation. Because uh, that's you know. the thing with with Britney is, I always say this, a lot of people are like, oh, she's like, she's the next generation's Madonna and things like that. And I don't like comparing female artists, especially that way. But I think that Britney's music can go easily on a playlist with Janet more than Madonna's. Because I feel like, Britney, there's always the reference to the Jacksons in general, sure. using a little more rock, using more R&B influence, not saying that Madonna doesn't do that, but I think that they they have vastly different styles of what pop and dance is. And with this, with the Britney album, and even leading into In The Zone, I felt like there were more instrumentation. with Joshua Schwartz coming up over the next few weeks. So make sure you subscribe and don't forget, follow me on Instagram to get the updates, the.original.dal and on Twitter at James Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z. And here is a little something extra for you all. We're going to be doing some giveaways over the next few weeks. So be sure to be on the lookout for that. And guess what? We're going to be talking with Joshua Schwartz about Intimidated. Don't hang up. And I was about to say the name of a couple other songs. And we're going to let you know about some songs you might not know of or that were worked on for these projects. More of that coming soon. Don't forget to follow me. But this is the Original Doll Podcast. I'm your host, James Rodriguez Horton. Thank you so much for listening. See you on the flip side. Think I'm so nice.